which was led by ear and mouth, had just ended. And Hand was telling Nose that he had decided to look for a different church. Really? Nose responded to Hand's news. Why? Hand said, oh, I don't know. I guess because the church does not have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Nose asked, what are you looking for in a church? Hand had to think before answering. He and Mrs. Hand liked Pastor Mouth. Hand finally said, well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us. We tried spending time with the legs, but we did not connect with them. Next, we joined the small group for all the toes. But they kept talking about socks and shoes and odors. And that didn't interest us. And then we attended the Sunday school for all you facial features. Everyone just wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. It felt like you never were going to get to work and get your hands dirty. Anyway, Mrs. Hand and I were thinking about checking out that new church across town. We hear they do a lot of clapping and hand-raising, which is closer to what we need right now. Hmm, Nose replied. I see what you mean. We would hate to see you go, but I guess you have to do what is good for you. That doesn't end the parable, by the way. But that's the part I'm going to read for you today. I have to ask the question, though, as I was thinking about that modern-day parable... Have you ever been in a situation like that? Not that you were talking to a nose or a hand or that sort of thing, but if you are theoretically or a nose, what do you say to someone like a Mr. and Mrs. Hand? Have you ever had a conversation with someone like that? Have you ever felt like telling someone, hey, we don't need you? Have you ever felt like your needs were not being met in the church? By the way, what are you looking for in a church anyway? <laughs> it's a good question to ask. And, and what do you think the church is? These are some fundamental questions that need to be answered. Well, today we're going to consider the place and role in the local church. What is your place and role in the local church? And uh, we're going to talk about nurturing fellowship among its members. There's three things in 1 Corinthians 12 that Mr. Hand and Mr. Nose, as well as all Christians, by the way, today need to know about the church. And I'll put them all up here on the screen for you. And they're all coming from the text. First of all, we'll see that the church is God's work. Second of all, we'll see that God's vision for the church is glorious. And there's two threats to God's vision for the church that we'll see here in the text. So with that in mind... Let's read 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, 
because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. For if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, plural, you plural, are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. We'll stop there. So the first thing we need to see from the text is this, that the church is God's work. God's work. This is a fundamental truth that we need to understand. And by the way, what you're going to see in the text is all three persons of the Godhead, all three persons of the Trinity play a part in the creation of the church and, and, and the continuing work in the church. But first of all, we see that Jesus is building the church here in, here in verse 12. Verse 12 tells us that the church is the body of Christ, which says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Christ is building the church. The companion passage in Ephesians 4 tells us that Christ is the head of the body, the church. And all the individual Christians then are connected to the head. Look at Ephesians 4, 15 here on the screen, which says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Notice Christ is doing the work there. He's causing his body to grow. So clearly from the text we see Jesus building the church. Now, hopefully you also know that God the Holy Spirit is also building the church. If you look at verse 13, you'll see him mentioned there. Uh, which says, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew or Greek, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So, Spirit's mentioned twice there in that one verse. So verse 13 tells us that the Spirit baptizes believers into Christ's body. You might say, well, how is that? And by the way, this is not talking about water baptism here. Not water baptism or believer's baptism. But the, the Spirit works on the sinner here 
to give a sinner a new heart. When you're, when you're saved and when you're converted by the Holy Spirit, you, you get a new heart. You get a new birth. You're born again. You're, you, you have a cleansed conscience. And then he actually adopts a lost sinner into the family of God. And so you're now a child of God. You're not born a child of God. You have to be born again to become a child of God into his family. And so it, it doesn't matter, as it says here in the text, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek or a Gentile, or that's basically anybody who wasn't Jew. It doesn't matter if you were slave or free. People from every culture, every social background are washed by the Spirit into Christ's body. So one of the beautiful things we see here in 1 Corinthians is a, a unity and diversity. Unity and diversity, all coming together. It's, it's a beautiful picture. And notice the emphasis on unity in particular here unity mentioned because we become one body we're drinking from one spirit and there's the one life of god that's poured into all our souls (laughs) one is a key word here showing there is unity how ironic it is though that the baptism of the spirit should be one doctrine that's divided many christians particularly in recent history sad isn't it it's an important doctrine Doctrine shouldn't divide us, but sadly it does sometimes. There are some out there that teach that uh, you can get this second baptism or what some might call a second blessing that takes place after your conversion. And uh, with that second baptism or or blessing, it's going to issue for certain gifts, particularly the gift of speaking in tongues. And this is something they say that every Christian should seek after but if let, let's just look at the text. What does God's Word say? What is the authority for us? It should be God's Word. So look at verse 30. If you're looking at verse 30, it's, it should be pretty clear. It says, Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? By the way, that's a rhetorical question, which has an obvious answer. It's no Not everybody is able to speak with this gift of foreign languages. And Paul makes it clear that not everybody has this gift of tongues. And if you you consider verse 13 as well, Paul makes it clear that the Spirit is baptizing every Christian. Every Christian. Look at at verse 13, because it says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. And then at the end, it uses that word all again. All were made to drink of one spirit. So the Holy Spirit's emphasizing this truth. It's every Christian. Every Christian's been baptized by the Spirit. So it's it's not just one speaking in tongues. Every Christian has been baptized. And by the way, when did that happen? That happened at the moment of conversion. Every believer is baptized by the Spirit at the moment of conversion. You don't need a second one. You only need the first one. So we have Jesus building the church. God the Holy Spirit's also building the church. But it also talks about God the Father building the church. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Also mentioned in verse 24. In the second part of verse 24, it says, God has so composed the body 
giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. So several times there, talk about God the Father building. He's a part of the building of the church. He's arranging each part just as He pleases. Now, do you understand what this means for us? There's some great truth here. Every Christian then occupies a place in which God the Father is lovingly, intentionally, specifically designing His church. <laughs> it's not like He just creates some weird organism and just kind of leaves it. No, he, He's actively involved in it. And, and this means that everybody in the body of Christ has God's sovereign hand on them. Everyone. Which then makes everyone important. And because the local church is the body of Christ, then the church becomes a physical representation of Jesus on this earth. He's not physically here. So the church represents Jesus. Think of it this way. Embassies are dotted all around the planet, right? Embassies represent that nation that they come from. So if you think of it that way, and then, and then within the embassy you would have an ambassador, right? This is language we see in Corinthians as well. And so we, the church, is, are like a living embassy. And within that embassy, each one of us then become ambassadors of Christ, and we're representing Christ to the world. And so if you want to see Jesus in the world today, your job is to look at the church. Look at the church, because the church is supposed to represent Jesus. Paul calls us ambassadors of Christ. Well, that truth makes the doctrine of the church profoundly important then, doesn't it? I want to think of just some couple implications for us. Number one, it means that you and I can no longer play church. Church is not a joke. Church is not a game. Church is something to be taken very, very seriously. So we can't make the local church just an optional extra. You know, it's just attached. No, it's, it's the center. It's the core. The church becomes central to what the Lord is doing, and it should be the same for us. Number two, the second implication is this, that the most dangerous place to be in the world then is outside the body of Christ. Particularly if, if you're an unbeliever, that, that's the worst place you could be. And so, my friend, if, if you're not a Christian, this truth may sound a little bit odd to you because you don't have the Holy Spirit residing within you. So let me tell you why you need to care about this truth. Okay, Here's why you need to care. See, outside the body of Christ, there's no rescue. You need to be rescued from God. See, when you understand that God is holy, that requires there to be judgment on sin. And so you need rescue from the judgment of God. But then, inside the body of Christ, in the, in the church then, is where all the love, the grace, the forgiveness, and the joy of God are displayed. And so, my friend, you have to forsake your sin. But then you must believe on Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You must trust your soul to Jesus Christ. Run to Him. Run to Him. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Put your faith in Him alone. So the first major point we see in the text is that the church is God's work. Second of all, we see that God's vision for the church is glorious. It is beautiful. And when you see this, it's Something that you'll want to pour your, your, your life, your money, your whole effort and time and prayers into it. And given the detailed attention that the triune God puts into building His church, 
This is something that really shouldn't surprise us. He's a wonderful God, a very creative God, a powerful God, and He's given us a beautiful vision for the church here. God has a definite purpose in mind for the church. God's vision, by the way, for fellowship in the church is found here in verse 25. Look at verse 25. Here's God's vision for the church. He says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, that, that is so profound and so powerful. It's, it's something that you're, you're just going to have to sit on that one for years and meditate upon that, right? It sounds so simple, but it, if, if the churches around the world would do this, <laughs> it, it, would, it would just be transformational. So for this vision to be realized, first, there should be real unity to the body, even though, of course, there's diversity in the body. So we see the unity and the diversity coming together. If you look at verse 12 and 14, you can, again, you see this idea. Verse 12 talks about just as the body is one, that's the unity, and has many members. So that's the, the diversity. In all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So again, you see the unity and diversity. Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many you see that, my friends? Unity and diversity in the church here. So to be a body is to be something with many parts. But also to be a body, there's unity. And of course, that's the case with our physical bodies, right? <laughs> you know what happens to parts of your body that get amputated or somehow are removed, right? Get cut off or whatever it might be. They don't survive, do they? Parts of your body are removed. Die. That's unhealthy. That's not a good thing. So God's using that as an example here, as an illustration, an an analogy, if you will. So we have many limbs and organs that make up our one body. And that's the way it is with Christ's body. So as as you think about your body, let that just kind of dwell in your hearts for a while to help you understand the spiritual body of Christ. By the way, notice in verse 25, the reason... God arranges the body of Christ the way he does. The reason he says is so that there would be no division. God requires and asks that there be unity in his body. All healthy bodies have unity. Well, how can there be no division? Well, the church is a community where each member is to have the same concern and care and love for each other. So I ask you, do you? Is that, is that how it's actually worked out in your life? Do you want to destroy cliques and petty fights? This is how you do it. Do you want to end ethnic prejudice? This is how you do it. Do you want to be sure that no one is lonely and ignored? This is how you do it. God designed it this way. Do you want to ensure that everybody has their needs met? Do you want your needs met? Healthy bodies love one another, show concern for one another. The way you do that, by the way, is to show equal concern for one another. Now here's here's where rubber is going to meet the road. Probably none of us actually do this, okay? To be fair, I don't think I do. 
you probably don't either. So here, here, here's the way it might work out, okay? Don't limit your love to just your family. For, the, for those of you who have family in this room, you're, you're related, this is going to be a huge struggle for you, okay? Just, just to be honest with you, that's the struggle. You'll show love for one another because you're blood family, but God says your love for your spiritual family should be the same, if not greater. So don't just limit your love to your family. It ought to be spread amongst all the one another's. So expand your love to every member. Otherwise, you're, you're guilty of being a clique. God doesn't like cliques. God wants us to be Christ-like, not just showing favoritism to certain groups. And uh, I know for a fact that there's people, even in our congregation, who feel like there's too much cliquishness going on. They feel excluded. Sometimes they feel lonely and hard to have conversations with people. So let me encourage you, make it a point to talk to everybody, fellowship with everybody. Don't be cliquish. Okay? That's my pastoral exhortation to you. All right? So let me ask you this. Are you seeing God's vision for the church? This is God's vision. Are you fulfilling it? God means for nobody to be left out. Okay? Now, I know, I know, I know what some of you are thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. There's some people that are difficult to talk to. There's some people who, you know, I just have a hard time talking. For some reason, it's, it's, I don't know if it's, I don't have anything in common with them, or whatever it might be, or there's this age gap, a gender difference, or, you know, we can make all kinds of excuses. We can throw up all kinds of barriers. But God said it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek, you're slave or free. It doesn't matter what your social standing is. You're all one. <laughs> so drop the barriers. Get real with one another. He means for nobody to be left out. He means for every member to be provided for. And that's how we avoid, by the way, people so-called slipping through the cracks, people going missing, people being unnoticed. You ever walked away from a church service feeling like, hmm, be a little empty here for some reason, you know? Didn't really have any deep conversations. People seemed to ignore me or whatever it might be. You ever felt that way? By the way, a lot of times it's our own fault that we feel that way. Because the Bible says, if you want friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. <laughs> right? So my suggestion is to you, show up early. Show an interest in people. Stay long. Show an interest in people. Show some concern and love. Talk to people. Anyway, verse 26 provides a, the practical application. It's, it's a demonstration of verse 25, okay? So if you want to know, well, what does that look like? You know, the members have the same care for one another. Look at verse 26, which says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See that? Do you, do you feel that way? You ever felt that way? Somebody's, if somebody's hurting, do you feel they're hurt? Do you, do you empathize with them? Hug them? Pray with them? Whatever you need to do? If somebody's rejoicing, you know, maybe they, I don't know, whatever that might be, something's good happened in their life. Do you rejoice with them or you, do you get covetousness or jealous or whatever it might be? That's not the proper response. God says you rejoice with that other person because we're all one. So God calls us all to share together in these experiences. 
And by the way, that means you got to know each other, don't you? It doesn't, it doesn't mean just coming on a Sunday and, and, uh, and expect that to be enough. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. That's an unhealthy body. So you need to be involved in each other's lives throughout the whole week. Well, how are we going to know that we have this equal concern for all the members of the body? Well, stick with the body analogy that the Holy Spirit's using here. Think of it this way. Any of you ever stubbed your toe on furniture? Ever done that? I've purposely picked that because I know I've done that several times. And most likely you have too. So you can... You know what it's like. You felt the pain, right? Why is it, by the way, that the toe seems to, uh, it's like it just magnifies the pain for some reason. You ever notice that? Little part of the body. Man, you stub that thing, it's like, ooh, it's like something major's happened, right? Well, if we're, if we are a body, which we are, and we stub our toe on the furniture, what happens? What happens? Well, <clears throat> I don't want to get too technical because I'm not a doctor or anything like that, but obviously the toes sends a message through your entire nervous system, right? Go into the rest of the body, and it basically says, ouch! That's the untechnical term, right? So it's The toes saying, hey, I hurt. That hurt. Please don't hit me on the furniture. It may not say that, but that's that's my language, okay? And then what happens is the brain will, will listen to the toe speaking way down there. And it really doesn't matter what else is going on around us, right? That little toe down there becomes the all-consuming issue of the moment. <laughs> and so all our powers of attention are concentrated on the hurting toe. It, it's small. Not a big thing, right? It's not a big part of your body. But your body's focusing on that hurt. That's a perfect illustration that the Holy Spirit is using in regards to the body of Christ. If there is one small part of the body that's hurting, all attention goes to that part of the body that's hurting. If it's hurting, you hurt. Because the toe is connected to the body. You see that? The question is, do you actually live that way? Okay, here's where the rubber meets the road. Do we live this way? Well, this is, this is God's glorious vision for the church. And the reality is, none of us probably live this out perfectly. But this is the vision that God wants you to portray. All right? So it's good that we know that, at least. So, if the church is to live out God's vision, then we need some sort of a system, if you will, that sends out information to the body about how other parts of the body are doing. Well, praise God. God's given us phones, texting, emails. Go and talk to someone face-to-face. Now, there's a new revelation. Talk to someone face-to-face. Take them out to a cafe or whatever it is. Go sit in the lounge with them. Right? That's a helpful thing to do. Have a kind of system that gives us opportunities that you can actually do what the Bible is talking about here. You can suffer together with someone else. You can rejoice together with somebody else. Well, that means you've got to know what's going on in their life. What's going on in the body. So the reaction that comes so naturally for us when we have some concern for a family member is the same biblical reaction that God expects and wants from us in relation to his spiritual body. And just think about this. <laughs> we, have, we have a member here whose wife and child was in a car accident. I know for a fact that that 
that the family members got together after that car accident, right? Didn't you? Because I saw you all together at the hospital. I know you were there, right? You're showing love and concern after a car accident. But do we do the same in relation to one another, to our spiritual family, the family of God, right? If somebody else who you're not physically related to is in a car accident, are you going to treat them the same way you treat your family members? You should. God says that's, that is what is expected, right? That's the point of verse 25, that the members may have the same care for one another. That's what God's telling you to do. That's his vision. So the question is, is this your vision? Is this your standard for life, for living? All right. But sadly, there's two threats to God's vision for the church that are mentioned in the text. Well, not with these words, but the concept, if you will, is in the text. So let's look at these two threats to God's vision for the church. And I've listed them up here on the screen for you. Because God identifies two reasons why Christians may not actually experience this kind of unity, this kind of love. Verses 15 and 16 tell us the first threat is sometimes we might feel superior, or sorry, inferior. We might feel insignificant, like we're not needed in the body. The second threat is where we might feel superior, where we become self-sufficient and we feel like uh, we're too good for the body, right? The body doesn't need us. <laughs> Those are the two threats to God's vision for the church. All right, so we'll, we'll talk about these uh, from the text here. So if you can identify with either of those feelings, please listen to how God addresses your particular case today. All right? In the text, Paul writes three things to each of these two groups, and he's striving to correct their wrong thinking. So first of all, in verses 15 and 16, the Apostle Paul writes, and he's basically saying this, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong, okay? Just to be blunt, he's, he's telling them, hey, you, you, your conclusions are actually in error here. Your conclusions are error. If you look at verse 15, Paul says, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So what's the point? They're all a part of the body. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter what one part of the body is saying. They're just wrong. They have the wrong conclusion. And look at verse 22, because verse 22 says they were not actually thinking right. Because uh, he says, on the contrary, in other words, you're wrong. On the contrary, the part of the body that seems to be weaker are indispensable. There's no inferiority going on here. God just says they're indispensable. All parts of the body are indispensable. And second, in verse 17, Paul says that every part is necessary for the body to actually be the body. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Is Just look at that. Is that a healthy body? I mean, can you imagine a huge ear and that's it? Or just a huge eyeball? 
that's not a very healthy body. It's missing a lot of important stuff, isn't it? And that's the point God's making. Every part that God has designed into his church is important. Every part is necessary for the body to actually be a body. And so, if you're feeling unnecessary, then that's not reality. If you're feeling superior, that is wrong. And so, if you want to abandon your part in the body, then it will actually destroy the body. And that's one reason why there's a lot of unhealthy churches, because the various members in the body are not doing what God has actually designed them to do. So what makes the body a body is it's unity, but yet there has to be diversity. Okay? They, there, there has to be many different members, different parts, if you will. But they've got to work together. You've got to stay attached to the head. It's the diversity that makes the unity possible as well as meaningful. And so without that diversity, without, in other words, each of you, there's no body, is there? So, for example, if just one of you is here, if one of you is just trying to operate as a body, it's not actually a body. And to those who somehow feel superior, I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 23. He says, And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Right? Paul's using the body analogy again. We use clothes to cover up certain parts of our body which that need the modesty. The parts of the body which you, you might think, sometimes we think we don't even need. They're, they're not that important. But God says, no, you're wrong. They are important. And we treat them in a greater way by covering them up with clothes. <laughs> sometimes that happens in the church. Parts of the body don't aren't so noticed and sometimes might might feel like, hey, I'm not that important. No, they're all important. You are dependent upon those so-called lesser parts of the body. Even those of you who might feel like you're somehow superior, God says, no, you need one another. I designed you that way. The third argument the Holy Spirit's using here is, is that to deny your place in the body or to somehow act independent of other members is to say that God doesn't know what he's doing. Whoa. No, I would never say that. <laughs> yeah, you might not say that verbally, but you're, you're, the way you work that out says what's going on inside you, right? What you really think is gonna, what you're going to work out in the church. So if you're denying your place in the body, then, and you're somehow acting independently of the body, then that is what you really believe, that God doesn't know what he's doing. If we somehow conclude, hey, I don't matter, I'm not important, I don't need the other members in the body, then you're saying, God, you blew it! You made a mistake! Whoa, that's heresy. God never makes mistakes. He's perfect. He is perfect. So, if you go around saying he's not perfect, that's a dangerous place to be. So my friend, those attitudes are actually slandering God. You're blaspheming God. You're giving the wrong impression of God, which means you're not glorifying God. And so those attitudes also hurt Christ's body, as well as the church's witness to the whole world. 
you're giving the wrong impression of God to the world. And so until we root these, these wrong attitudes completely out of our hearts, you're going to be waging war against Jesus' body. You're waging war against Jesus. Well, obviously, if we're Christians, we don't want to slander God. Obviously, we don't want to blaspheme God. We don't want to disrupt His church. So let's think about some applications that are flowing out of this text. Okay? Uh, these are applications as well as implications from the text. Number one, membership in the local church is a biblical idea. Membership in the church is a local, or sorry, it's a, it's a biblical idea. Notice the text uses the word member. By the way, that idea it doesn't come from all these clubs that you might see in the city. It's, it's, it's actually coming from this body metaphor the Holy Spirit's using here. The word members is a Christian word, and of course then membership goes along hand in hand with that. So it's uniquely a Christian idea. It's a God-given idea. So the idea roots itself here in the truth that Jesus has a body and that Christians are members in that body. Okay? You, you, you argue with Jesus on that one. I know some people don't believe in church membership. All right? You've got to argue with God on this. <laughs> okay? So my friend, there is, there's no such thing as a member of the body that's just kind of happily going about life without being a part of the body. It doesn't make sense, does it? It, it destroys the whole metaphor. For example, all right, think about this. You're, you're sitting in the chairs right now. Your legs are attached to your body at the moment, are they not? I think all of you have your legs attached. Nobody has any legs out there playing soccer on the soccer field, right? You say, that's ridiculous, that's stupid. But that's what some people think. They, they can do that and still be a healthy body. I'm, I'm a body, I'm a part of the body, but my, you know, my legs are out there doing something else. They're not actually attached and being useful. See, our legs are here attached to our body, and that's the way it is with Jesus Christ. So if we belong to Christ, we're members, we're attached to his body, to his head, and to other members of the body as well. There's a connection between all of us. Therefore, membership is something that's essential to God. And the spiritual reality of our membership in Christ's body is then going to find its expression in the local church. Number two. We must think biblically about leaving a church. We must think biblically about leaving a local church. Again, what are the two threats here to God's glorious vision for his church? Right? Inferiority and superiority. And so feelings of inferiority are never sufficient grounds for leaving a church. Likewise, feelings of superiority are never grounds for joining a church. Right? If, if you go into a congregation thinking, man, this church really needs me. I'm so awesome. My awesomeness is needed here. You're coming with the wrong attitude, aren't you? That is not helpful. You will destroy the body if you go in with that kind of an attitude. And so if your feelings are, are somehow those kind of things, please allow me to kind of shepherd you through those thoughts. We need to talk All right, if, if you're somehow thinking that way. But number three, let's move on. We must try to recover discouraged members, discouraged Christians. It's sad, very sad. I, I encounter quite a few as I go about life. 
I encounter some in the homeschooling community. I often encounter people who have left our congregation. I often hear, I get phone calls from other pastors saying, hey, what's going on? There's people who have left your congregation. They've been to this church and this church, and now they've come visit our church. And So what's going on here? Very discouraged Christians who, who are not actually a part of the body. They're, they're refusing to somehow join up with a local representation of Christ's body and be committed to it. It's not a healthy situation. So, uh, by all means, we should try to recover discouraged members who, who need a local body. Number four, our concern for others must cross ethnic lines and class lines. That's what the Holy Spirit's talking about here. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek, if you're slave or free, or what, whatever your standing is or your ethnic line is, it's clear here from verse 13, isn't it? So for those of you who are Caucasians, and that is your ethnic uh, line, if you will, if you're Caucasian, let me ask you this. How often do you have meaningful contacts with Asians and black Africans? Do you, do you treat the black Africans and the Asians just like you do your fellow Caucasians? I hope you do. Because God's broken down all those lines of ethnicity. Uh, let's look at this another way. Some of you are tradesmen of some sort. All right, if you're a tradesman, a tradesman, do you meet with people who work in another industry? Some people don't like doing that. And they, if you're a blue-collar worker or a white-collar worker, it seems like sometimes, even within the body of Christ, the two don't mix. That's wrong. That's ungodly. The lines do need to mix, because there is no line. You're one in Christ. And so in a small congregation, it should be your goal then to have a meaningful spiritual conversation with every member of the body of Christ. Okay? And do that regularly. Number five. We must live in a way that makes it clear that we all depend on one another and that we need one another. That's a clear implication and application from the text here. And so... If wrong thinking says, hey, I don't need you, I don't need you, then you've got to cultivate a godly reliance on other people. Some of us find that hard. Our pride gets in the way. We don't want to humble ourselves. So we should gratefully express our gratitude to God and our thanks to the fellow members for the essential service in the body. Everyone's important. Everybody has a part to play. And we need to appreciate each other. Okay, God doesn't make everybody like you. <laughs> Thank God for that, right? God didn't everybody make everyone like me. Thank God for that. There needs to be diversity to, to be healthy. All right? Learn to appreciate other people whom God made different from you. So let's build a culture of showing godly dependence for every member. Number six. Every member must use their gifts for the good of the whole body. Why do you think God made you the way you are? So you can just kind of sit on your, what, your gift and your, the way God's made you so it doesn't help the body? No, of course not. God designed you the way you are. He has arranged you in the body so that you use the way he's made you for the health of the whole body. Everyone in the body has a gift. We looked at the first part of 1 Corinthians 12 
looking at some of these spiritual gifts, they're there to edify the body, build it up, to help it. God's intentionally placed you in the body with that gift. So use it. Every member has to serve in a way that God's gifted them. Right? It wouldn't be helpful if you're an eyeball to try to go pretend you're a hand. Eyeballs don't make good hands, do they? And the other way around, hands don't make good eyeballs. They can't see much, can they? So be what God's designed you to be. Let me ask you this. Are you serving other people? Are you? Regularly, consistently serving other people? Are you feeling useless? All right, if you're feeling useless, then you're, you're not doing what God designed you to do. And if you are, then you need to serve one another. Last one to think about is this. We should value each other's care. We should value each other's care. This is difficult for us to do sometimes because we don't always appreciate the care that we receive from other members of the body of Christ. Look at verse 25 again. Because verse 25 says, There may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You see that, verse 25? We, we need to consider care from one part of the body as equally as important as care from another part of the body. But what is our tendency? I know. Sometimes we, we, we might say, hey, I would prefer sister so-and-so to care for me. Or I, 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 I want the pastor to care for my needs. Or, hey, brother so-and-so, he, he's better at caring for me than, than uh, that other brother over there. Right? We, we sometimes despise the care we receive from the body. It shouldn't be that way. We need to value each other's care. We need, and if we fail to appreciate the care we're receiving from the body, then we're going to be an unhealthy church. By the way, do you know that it is your responsibility to show concern for other Christians? It's your responsibility. Too often churches say, hey, you know, that's what, it, that's what I hired the pastor to do. No. God said in Ephesians 4, the pastor's to train you to do the work of the ministry. You hire the pastor to train you to do the work. That's what Ephesians 4 said. So it's your responsibility, not the pastor's. Or you don't look at someone else in the congregation and say, you know, you know that person's probably a little better at serving than me, so I'm just going to let them do it. No. Your responsibility. And so, if, if we are the sufferer, just think about this. If we're the one suffering, we should not say that the, somehow the church has failed to care for us because the pastor didn't come and visit me. Right? You see a problem with that? That makes the pastor the body. And a pastor is not the body. All right? I, I'm just saying this because I know this is an issue in some churches. Hopefully it's not in ours. So, to reduce the church to the pastor is a very unhealthy-looking body. It's not a body, in fact. Let me give you another example. If Sister Sue prays for you, calls you on the phone, comes and visits you at home or in the hospital, and Sister Sue is there striving, showing concern and love for you, guess what? That's the body ministering to you because we're all one. That was the church. That's Christ ministering to you through Sister Sue. That's what God's saying here. 
And so we have to let the body be the body. Each member shows equal concern for every other member. That's the body of Christ working as it should, and when it does, it's a beautiful, glorious vision. So let me just return to that opening parable coming from that book, What is a Healthy Church? All right? Hopefully you know the answer now, right? Were Mr. and Mrs. Hand right to look for another church because they felt somehow they didn't fit in or because they somehow disliked some particular aspect of the public service? Was that right? Was Mr. Nose right to conclude, we don't need you? Actually, both of them were wrong, according to what the Bible says, weren't they? Both of them are wrong. Feelings of superiority or inferiority are both wrong, and they threaten God's vision for the church. So, keep this in mind, my friends. We, collectively, are the body of Christ. All the Christians make up this body of Christ. God the Father arranges them, and every member then plays a necessary part in the body. You're all important. All of you. Use the gifts that God has given to you for the purpose of Christ's body. Ultimately, by the way, it's not about you, so that God would be glorified. That God causes us to be fulfilling this glorious vision that he's given to the church.